when I think back of how I got to know Catherine Hepburn and what I imagined her to be, it will always be Bringing Up Baby, a movie from 1938. Hepburn played a wealthy woman and Cary Grant an archaeologist, and Baby was a leopard or a cheater or something with spots, that's for sure. And it was a screwball comedy with very witty and funny lines, and Hepburn played a very airheaded Hyrus. Just funny and innocent and really, really great entertainment. Cary Grant in a fluffy short lady's dressing gown surely was worth the watch, I can tell you. So who was Catherine Hepburn actually? If you are like 35 years older, you might have caught her in one of her later movies where she usually shined as some version of a very stubborn, often crumpy, but very good-hearted and wise older woman. And although my first encounter with her as the lady that was bringing a baby, she actually was a really stubborn woman in reality. And most of her movie roles just mirrored that. I want to quote Wikipedia here because it is such a great summary of who she was. Catherine Hepburn was known for her headstrong independence, spirited personality and outspokenness, cultivating a screen persona that matched this public image and regularly playing strong-willed, sophisticated women. Yes, that is the Catherine Hepburn that I know, love and admire. So... Some facts for those of you who have no idea about Catherine Hepburn and are just new to the topic, which probably some are. Say, summarizing, she is known as one of the biggest actresses of movie history. She actually is the woman that has won the most Oscars. In fact, she is top of the list for both actors and actresses, with four Academy Award wins for Morning Glory, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, The Lion in Winter, and on Golden Pond. She is included in Roe Horton and Sally Simmons' book, Women Who Changed the World, and in the Encyclopedia Britannica's list of 300 women who changed the world. In 1986, she received a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Council of Fashion Designers of America because of her lasting influence on women's fashion. Four of her movies are on the American Film Institute's list of the 100 greatest American films of all times. And why has she won those accolades? With the words of one of her biographers, Sheridan Morley, she broke the mold for women in Hollywood. So that is quite like, you know, who is this woman? So to understand why she was the way she was and who she was, so we need to look back at her life. So I want to take you back down memory lane. Catherine Happen was born to two outstanding parents. Her father was a urologist at a hospital and her mother, Catherine Horton Happen, was a suffragette. So she was a woman fighting for the women's right to vote. And she was best friends with Margaret Sanger, who coined the word birth control and was fighting for that together with the elder Hepburn already in 1910. And there, American Birth Control League would later turn into Planned Parenthood. So, Catherine Hepburn is tied to Planned Parenthood. You wouldn't have known that. So, Catherine and her five siblings were growing up in a household that valued independence, individuality and equal rights for both genders. They were taught to speak their minds, to exercise their bodies, no matter whether girl or boy, no difference is made, and to think for themselves. And at one point... Catherine was actually a tomboy at heart because she cut her hair short and she wanted to be called Jimmy. 
So this is a very different upbringing than most American or European kids, and especially girls, got in the beginning of the 20th century. And of course, the family in general and Catherine as an individual faced backlash and adversity because they were different. And it taught her to fight back and to stand for what and who she was from an early age on. Catherine loved the movies. Like most of the people I'm covering here in this podcast, they love the movies. And this is why they got into the movies, which is kind of understandable. So Catherine loved the movies and she went to see one every Saturday night. And she would put on plays for her family, for friends and for the wider neighborhood, commanding entry fees. This was her first step into the stage world. And it all seemed very great and independent and ideal. But tragedy hit Catherine at a very young age, when she was only 13 years old, when her beloved brother died at the age of 15 from suicide, and she was the one finding him. I truly think this scarred her for life. And I did not know this for a long time. This is absolutely traumatic, and it must have impacted her greatly. This tragedy changed her on many levels and turned her into a very moody and anxious girl that did not trust anybody. So she left school and she got tutored at home. She was not comfortable around anybody else. And she changed her birthday to the date her brother had his. And she celebrated his birthday instead of hers from then onwards. And it was only when she was publishing her memoirs many years later that this secret was revealed. So after years and years of homeschooling, she enrolled in college, which was a huge shift for her and definitely not easy because there were other people and she had to conform. And this is very different from what she experienced. But there were school plays and acting and she loved it. Actually, the stellar reviews for one of her performances cemented Catherine's wish to become a professional performer and actress. The following four years after college, so 1928 to 1932, are what I call Catherine's forming years. This is when she actually became the woman we know today as Catherine Hepburn. During this time, she got hired and fired multiple times for very different reasons. For a shrill voice, for being too nervous, for stumbling over her feet, for not being talented enough, for having objectionable manner, for not looking good enough, for not being liked by the producers. Again and again and again. And you know what? She always continued. She always continued. She found a voice coach. She trained with acting coaches. She searched for other roles. She never gave up. Until she starred in The Warrior's Husband, a role that fit her perfectly and emphasized all her trademarks, her athleticism, her energy, her movements. And it was her entry ticket to Hollywood. She was offered a part opposite John Barrymore, who was a megastar back then. But she was holding her own and did a fabulous job that cemented her way to stardom. She did several movies, including Little Women, the original, not the one with Emma Watson. And she was already a star then. But as all things go, she suffered major career setbacks with two of the worst performances of her career in Spitfire and in the stage play The Lake. Returning back to the screen, she made four very unsuccessful movies in a row, which in Hollywood terms is deadly. But more problematic even was her attitude in her private life. She did not like the media. She was rude to them. She denied interviews and she would not give autographs. Apparently, she was nicknamed Catherine of Arrogance, a play on words with Catherine of Aragon, if you need a little history reminder. So she got back on the theater stage for Jane Eyre, which was quite successful. And when she got back to Hollywood, she actually wanted to play Scarlett O'Hara in Gone with the Wind. 
But the producer actually told her that she had no sex appeal and that he can't see Red Butler chasing her for 12 years. So instead, she starred in Stage Door, which brought an Academy Award nomination. But it was not a commercial hit, as was Bringing a Baby, which bombed at the box offices. Nevertheless, my advice, watch it. It's funny. So all in all, six unsuccessful films and Catherine was put on the infamous list of box office poison. This list had been published by the Independent Theatre Owners of America in an ad, like in a newspaper ad, that featured stars like Catherine Happen, Greta Garbo, Mae West, Joan Crawford and Marlene Dietrich. Her career, like Catherine's career, was at a low point. And she actually bought her way out of her contract with RKO, which she was under contract with. Afterwards, she was offered roles for a wage that was way below what she had earned at the beginning of her Hollywood career. So it was a really high fall from like top of the world to the lowest on the bottom. But if one thing Catherine Happen was resilient, she took power back in her own hands, looking for a project that would redeem her and make her shine in her old glory. And that project was the Philadelphia story, which she first starred in on the stage and later in the movie. And that movie brought her immense power because she had the movie rights to the play bought for her by her then lover, Howard Hughes. So Catherine got to decide on the co-stars in the production. It was her movie through and through, and it was her big comeback. She had learned that the people did not like her and that she needed to make a fool of herself in a movie and take the high road. And it paid off big time, commercially and critically. And it started a string of successful movies with new studio MGM, which signed her with a star contract and during which she got to know and love Spencer Tracy. Say, at age 43, basically retirement age for most actresses, Catherine Happen got really into her own groove and expanded her repertoire and who she was as a performer. On stage in Shakespearean plays, she was a huge hit, as well as with her first Technicolor production in African Queen. So in the coming years, she would oscillate between stage and movies and took time off intermittently to recharge when her MGM contract was fulfilled. She actually found her niche in playing the maiden aunt, like the unmarried older woman, as I said in the beginning, you know, the grumpy older woman who is wise and lovely. And she took a break from acting, caring for Spencer Trace, who was extremely ill and did not work for five years. Her comeback movie was Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, which starred also Spencer Trace in his last role, as well as her actual in-real-life niece Catherine Horton and Sidney Poitier. Spencer Tracy actually died two weeks after production ended and Happen received her second Academy Award for the performance. And the next performances were chosen by Happen based on what fascinated her personally, And she evolved as a performer with each part. And one part that surprised me was that Catherine Happen appeared as Coco Chanel in a musical called Coco. She had the starring role and actually was loved by the public. She even got a Tony Award nomination for Best Actress in a Musical. I didn't know that, did you? And after that, she only did some movies and stage plays that she was interested in that stretched her. But she did not have a major commercial or critical success. She even gave up acting when her tremors and shaking head could not be disguised anymore. Until she saw the Broadway production of On Golden Pond. Jane Fonda had bought the rights to the movie for her father Henry Fonda. And Catherine played opposite him. It earned her her fourth Academy Award, 
and was a testament to her boundless energy and vigor, even at such an advanced age. What I find fascinating about Catherine Hepburn are mainly two things. Her resilience and dedication to what she wanted. That's like the biggest thing. Because before she actually had any success, she got dismissed and fired for having like everything from a shrill voice to not being pretty enough, for talking too fast, for having no talent. And she always went back to take another course, to learn more, to become better. She was one resilient lady. And after four years, she eventually got the role that was a breakthrough moment. Four years. You know, a lot of people don't wait that long when they're starting a passion project or something like that. You really have to work on it. You really have to find new avenues that you want to follow through. You know, Catherine Hepburn might not have had the intuitive talent as an actor, but she trained and tried and repeated. And that's why she got better and better over time and bloomed into the star that she's regarded as today. And that is what we need to remember. We can make our lives. We just need determination, resilience and tons of it. Another thing that I really admire about her is her unreliable and unshaken belief that she as a woman is the maker of her own life and that she does not have to conform to anything or anyone. She did not want to have children because she believed it to be a full-time role that she could not commit to. She wore trousers long before this was acceptable for women and loved to go barefoot. She was in a long-term relationship with Spencer Tracy, although he was married to another woman and never demanded from him to get a divorce. She actually did not attend his burial ceremony out of respect for his family, although she was the one who had taken care of him for five years before his death. She never remarried after college love that was quickly over and divorced. She publicly voiced her opposition against the anti-communist movement in Hollywood, which resulted in her not getting offers for an extended period of time, and she fought for birth control, legacy of her family. So she really did not want to be put into a mold. She was her and she was fighting for it. Another thing which is really admirable of her is her learning curves. She became a better actress with age and she trained and worked on her repertoire, but she also became more empathetic with what the public wanted. She understood her public reception and she learned how she could convince the masses to love her. And that's what came through with the Philadelphia story when she just understood what kind of a person the people wanted to, to see her as. And she matured and she did so with a vigor and with energy that is unparalleled. And I just look up to her and always remember that we can always work on ourselves and try to find who we really are through the work that we're doing. And another thing which is shining through in all the accounts on her life is her humility and humanity. She apparently had a photo of one of her worst performances attached to her bedroom wall to always stay humble and always remember that she can fall down. And although she did not believe in God, she had the right attitude towards life. As pointed out in an interview in, from 1991, she said, I'm an atheist and that's it. I believe there's nothing we can know except that we should be kind to each other and do what we can for other people. So I think she really was an extraordinary person. From her style and demeanor to her views on the world and how she evolved as a person and an actress. And I think we can all look up to her and learn from her. And I all invite you to look her up on the old internet or watch Bringing a Baby, which brings me so much joy every time I see it. I hope to talk to you next week. Bye.